1: coping mechanisms. We all have them. Some are more prevalent than others. As children, we tend to develop our own strategies to cope with certain situations and circumstances, even though we don't quite know that we're doing it at the time. These strategies, good and bad, flow in and out of our lives. As the school year gets into full gear, in addition to the normal trials and tribulations of adolescence, now add in and throw in stigmas like ADD, ADHD, gifted, intellectually disabil- uh, intellectual disability, learning disorders, And different aspects of the spectrum. Pile on top of that anxiety, depression, bullying, identity issues, and we almost get that sense that it is an uphill battle that sometimes just seems daunting to fight. Joining us today is Everett Lawrence Adams, a clinical and educational psychologist. EL, as he is known, is looking to share ideas, philosophies, and methods he's using to help our youth thrive in sometimes the most difficult of situations. He's using methods as well like mental health, mood, and music. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And as always, for more information, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. e l great to have you here on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I would say you're coming all the way to us from North Carolina, but... That's not necessarily the case, but those were the, those were the earlier days, am yeah, I right?
0: North Carolina by way of Ottawa and Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. And
1: by way of clinic in Kingston, reaching the greater areas or around it. I found your story to be really quite interesting, and I'm really excited for our chat today.
0: Yes, me too. Um, <laughs> uh, just coming to Canada, uh, born and raised in North Carolina, um, high schools. I just ventured off to different areas. Prep school in Boston led me to Nova Scotia where I played basketball and studied psychology. Um, it's just been a, a lifelong um, task, or, or I guess the experience of taking risks, going to different places, doing different things.
1: Yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of that you actually just in that like 10 seconds of explanations just took a whole bunch of really great stories yeah and we're gonna kind of <laughs> we're gonna expand back because uh interesting like really an interesting child but but the decision even and I think for for some student athletes to make a decision to mm-hmm. leave home and to go to these prep schools where I think in the state's prep schools are kind of they're a, they're Huge. a pretty big deal Huge, yeah. you know that was really the start of these venture venturing outside of the traditional kind of thing Thinking of mm-hmm. staying home and, and trying something new. But you had hoped it would be a little bit more on the athletic endeavor yes. side than yes. what you realized in going to Andover, Mass, and, and then finding out that most of your uh, your teammates and your roommates were going to be heading off to Yale's and Harvard's.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, well, my mom, just she's from Oklahoma. So she's from Oklahoma. She moved to Charlotte, North Carolina with my dad when they were married. And she said you have to make your world bigger than Charlotte. Charlotte can't be the end-all be-all. There's a lot of world out there. And... I don't have too much of a problem flying, so uh, just going to the prep school in Boston or outside of Boston, Andover, Massachusetts, um, I was looking for opportunities to expand my basketball career and get a lot of looks from colleges because I'm shorter. I'm 5'9", and, you know, I wasn't this guy who could dunk and fly through the sky. So this was an opportunity for me to play basketball against some major competition. But this school, I mean, there were some great athletes there, don't get me wrong, but it was really more academic and this was my first struggles academically because high school was a breeze for me and the, the different curriculums and the different um, strategies I was using in high school didn't match the task and the challenges in prep
1: school. What did you find at that point was the the main difference? Was it just the educational system? Was it the expectations placed on you uh, being in a, a more elitist or a more competitive environment?
0: Uh, it was just uh, the curriculum was different. Um, In high school, I could finish my homework, and I I don't feel bad about saying this. I could do my homework while the morning announcements was on. You know, I was kind of just chilling at home, playing basketball, doing whatever, and the next day I would do my homework in the mornings, where this required a lot more dedication, a lot more um, expansion on your thoughts. So it wasn't a simple go in and do the routine. You had to go in there and you had to think and and put some effort into it and formulate these answers that was acceptable for the teachers. So it was just a different... um, circumstance that I was using old strategies with that didn't match.
1: So old strategies, new strategies. I'm, I'm going to take it as we get further into the podcast. Yep. We'll be able to expand on, on how some of these strategies can work for some mm-hmm. and not for others. You you managed to get through. I mean, you finished the year. Oh, yeah. Oh, I
0: passed. I passed. <laughs> <I> pass. <Yeah. laughs>
1: but the, the point was that you had hoped to play college basketball.
0: Yeah, right? I was looking for D1, Division mm-hmm. one, And the biggest knock again with my size was... He's small, He's gonna, he can't endure a full year of D1 competition, Division One. sorry. And uh, so I was kind of recruiting myself past the schools that were local into Massachusetts. I wanted to go somewhere bigger, brighter. Everybody has the dream of going pro. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm playing against some major people, and I'm, I'm faring pretty well against them. But, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds with me, but again, being 5'9". So I recruited myself. Made a wrong phone call to St. Francis Xavier in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, when I was aiming for St. Francis Xavier in some town in Pennsylvania.
1: That's that's really a call, or maybe it's, you know, a higher power or yeah. whatever it was yeah. that was guiding you into this phone call. You hadn't meant to call Santa Fe's, not at all, uh, yeah. in you know, in Nova Scotia, and yet it was the the right call, or this mistake ended up being a great kind of pathway for where you would eventually end up
0: for sure yeah it was you go through this blue book it's a blue book of um recruitment and has all these schools in there and somehow i'm looking at st francis xavier in pennsylvania but i call the number in nova scotia and the coach was pretty persistent um and it led to me coming to a new world of canada i mean i'd been to canada once montreal when i was like five years old and all i can remember was st hubert but, yeah, oh.
1: yeah. Yeah. They have great gravy, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I can remember. And, <laughs> and
0: then um, I come to Canada, and it opens up a new world for me, a new way of thinking, a lot more. What well, and I, I feel a lot more diversity. So I was learning from roommates who were from India, roommates who were all um, Caribbean. Growing up back home, uh, most of the the black population is just African American, not so much Caribbean or African, um, but just uh, African American. So learned a lot. Polish friends, Serbian. One of my best friends is Serbian. So it gave me this new world of diversity and uh, changing the lens of which I look at, at things.
1: Well, Can you kind of expand on that? Is it the way you felt our our country, our system, our melting pot works a little bit differently than maybe how it was where you were growing up in North Carolina?
0: Yeah, well, I found here people at home in North Carolina. It's the Deep South. It's the Bible Belt. So a lot of very rigid ideals and um, God is law, and then legal law is second. So um, it was just more so people had questions but they weren't attacking, they were more more curious about my background. And I find that home, they're more questioning and attacking versus being curious and being maybe a little bit more open-minded.
1: Mm-hmm. Or genuine, like genuinely yeah. asking you questions about, yeah. okay, what was the experience like or, or, or what was, you know. Mm-hmm. I think they're actually just wanting to know you yeah. more as a person than anything else. Yeah. So you, you had a great run as a basketball player at St. FX. Was it a good couple of years? Oh, it was, yeah,
0: It was a great couple of years. Uh, out there, too, in Nova Scotia, it's, it's kind of like, man, when you look at hospitality, they're really, really – warm and welcoming people are always asking you to come over come over for thanksgiving um but basketball was was awesome i mean i walked in my first two years i don't have them with me but i have uh back-to-back championship rings we went as far as we could go we had very very dominant team in my first two years it was a blessing and it was a great um activity or it was a great experience but at the same time that led me to believe this is how it's supposed to be so the third year when our major players moved on and graduated and I ran into some some loss and some uh, difficult years of playing basketball but it was still pretty pretty productive and successful on the most part
1: when you were at school what were you studying
0: I started off in uh, marketing marketing and business I wanted to be on Wall Street and make all this dough and kind of wheel and deal and um, first year or first semester I was struggling and coach. Okay, Coach Kaczalski out in uh, Nova Scotia is saying, you know, you need to pick this up or else you're not going to be on the team. I've promised your mom and dad this and that, so um, you need to pick this up. And it was just, I found it really boring. And not to say that I had boring teachers, just the, the material was just uh, not so interesting. So luckily, my second semester, I had to find a elective that um, matched with our schedule, our practice schedule, and happened to be forensic psychology. And then as soon as I hit the school or hit the, the class, it was just mind blowing. And it wasn't a struggle to go to class anymore.
1: What was what was it about the forensic psychology that that hit you so much that it was almost like that you were inspired to learn again?
0: Well, forensic psych was more so analyzing, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony. You're, you're making it a little bit more practical and When I look back, I've always been interested in profiles, uh, uh, bios of uh, famous people, and just understanding how people tick. Like, I'm a people watcher. I can sit down somewhere with, you know, ice cream or something and watch people go by for hours and not really be bored of it.
1: Okay, so let me ask you this. When Mm -hmm. you're sitting there having your ice cream at this stage, Mm -hmm. are you watching. Children at play. Are you watching children's relationship with siblings and parents? Like, where where do you find your eyes go to as you're doing your people watching? Knowing that you're dealing so much more with adolescents and youth now. Uh,
0: just a story. Just trying yeah. to figure out like what's what's going on here. This person here has this face. You know, they kind of balled up their face. Are they mad? Are they thinking? Um, you see this dynamics between the the family and the, the maybe the parents and. Um, I don't know, Walmart in survival mode, you know, just trying to get this kid out of Walmart without having a hissy fit. Um, It's just, just interesting to see people's walk and seeing how much alike and how um, different we are in the the same Mm. um, span of things.
1: Okay. So you take this, uh, you take this psychology course, forensic psych, which is not actually going to be the path that you follow in terms of the work that you are doing. Mm -hmm. What what then is the path that you follow that eventually lands you here with the fact that you're dealing with, with youth and with adolescents and especially with education? Um, because that's a big... I, I look at you and it's like, that's a big heart. These they, these are issues. These mm-hmm. are uh, parts of, of a person's life that will really create a, a stronger foundation for who they are for the rest of their life. So right. that's a big ask on someone.
0: It is. Uh, but I think... Um... Like I'm a product of a I call it my tribe, and it, it's not just parents, it's not just family members, it's my best friends. like we had a crew of five in around the circle of our neighborhood if one parent saw you stepping out of line, they were going to check that in the moment. Um, I have coaches, I have a lot of mentors and advisors, and just having someone to always go to depending on the, the circumstances that I was facing. Um, I think everybody can benefit from having somebody to offer input, offer guidance that may not be the easiest to swallow at times, but it's still good for you. So I think being just one of those tribe members of uh, the youth or even the parents or the the family or the community, uh, it just appeals to me because, as we say back home, it's just one to grow on. I'm trying to give somebody one to grow on and become a different person, essentially growth.
1: So at what point in the studies do you realize that educational psychology is Mm -hmm. going to be something that you're going to then spend more time with? I know you took some special courses. I know that the education was really then focused.
0: Focused, yeah. You go through the whole program of uh, psychology, but even then, it wasn't going to be a psychological career. I was... I, was, I guess fairly young, 22, 23, so I'm still trying to pursue this basketball thing, and I'm getting looks from people overseas, and they say, yeah, you know, we can we can work with this, but it starts to prolong and prolong, and um, you start to become 25, and I'm looking, I'm like, well, I don't want to wait on this forever, so I go back home, and I got a lot of hookups in Charlotte, so I'm getting jobs here, jobs there, working with the school board and i'm being uh, we call it assistant teacher or uh, yeah assistant teacher not, no no uh, um substitute teacher you call them supply teachers here mm-hmm. so i'm supplying or see yeah, supplying day by day and then i realized man the classroom is not for me like this these are a lot of people to manage and it's just difficult for my personality but uh given my psychology background i'm saying well i can still work with the school board in some type of capacity and not have to be in the classroom. So if you have a psychology um, bachelor's, it's hard to get a job in that field doing something uh, one-on-one or therapeutical or what have you. So I'm just thinking about it. And then my mom says, you should probably go to grad school. And I come from a, a house of, well, the women on my in my family, my mom and my sister, they're scholars. My sister's actually gifted. Uh, me and my dad, we're kind of just eh, more practical people. But um, my mom was suggested it, and I was like, I'm not the best student, Ma. And she's like, no, you can't. You just have to really focus. And then going to grad school, I applied to the same one my sister went. She's a, not a psychologist, but she's a um, deaf and hearing impaired teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. So same school, different program. Uh, I go and I realize that I'm a lot more focused. I'm a lot more uh, mature, but because of the poor academic success of just passing classes at saint X now it's a struggle to get in grad school so I went in under um, the gun and provisionally and I had to really prove myself so but once I got in it was just flying flying through the skies easily.
1: What were the classes what was it that you enjoyed and know that you were going to take back to the students?
0: Um, just therapeutic uh, modalities so how you're going to approach you you can really choose from so many approaches and um, understanding that people all have a story, we all have a background, and ha- helping people navigate and reflect—I'm really big on reflection. And I call it mirror time. Uh, if you can look in a mirror and really reflect on your experiences, which is hard for a lot of, you know, twelve-year-olds to do because they're only twelve. What experiences have they had? Uh, sixteen? I tell them, you know, you probably just started making decisions about sleeping, about picking out your own clothes, you know, when you want to eat. Probably three or four years ago, when you're sixteen, when you had complete autonomy of, I want to eat this or where the house is having, you know, rice and beans, really, I, I prefer to make my own sandwich over here. Okay, that's fine. You can do that. But helping people reflect and helping people find the the, the lessons in maybe their difficulties or their
1: challenges, it's really, really appealing to me. So what is it that you're actually doing now? You've been, you've been in the workforce, you've been, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, an aspect of the clinical side you've got work with the board like so how do you, when someone says what exactly do you do how do you describe <laughs> it
0: i, I, I guess uh, an umbrella term would be intervention i provide interventions or help with interventions been with the school board nine years here in the ottawa district school board two years previously in small towns of um tennessee uh and now three years going into four years of private practice so there's a different Uh, beast between private practice and the school board but uh, essentially you're providing interventions of some sort the school board will say we have this referral for a student who needs you know therapy who's dealing with anxiety or who's having anger issues Uh, maybe self-image or um, self-esteem self-concept and sometimes I do assessments as uh, an intervention so we're trying to explore the learning profile and that usually you give a cognitive test Educational tests. You mix those um, results together, and you try to examine where the the um, themes and the strengths and weaknesses are. Um, Sometimes you'll give um, emotional um, interventions. Uh, And I I love music. I think music is therapy. So that's one of my key things that I got from my um, my thesis, and I use that to open the door for um, conversation. Therapy, talk therapy, is only as good as the person who wants to talk. For people don't want to talk, then it's going to be really, really difficult. And usually at the adolescent age, uh, parents are the ones who want it for their kids. Kids aren't really uh, volunteering and saying, yeah, I want to go talk to somebody. You do have that. But often it's the parents really initiating this. So music allows people to speak about something indirectly, but it really does reflect what they're feeling.
1: This is the mood, mental Health, health mood, mood, music, and music, music yeah. right? Okay, mm-hmm. so I do want. I want to get to that. Yeah. One of the things, though, before I think any parent gets to that stage, mm-hmm. is that they're they're looking. You know, on that first day of school, you send them off and hoping everything yeah. is going to be. You know, they're going to come home and they're going to love their teacher and they're going to love how recess was, and you have these high expectations that things are just going to be rosy rainbows and unicorns, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that's that's not the case. In in that you become uh, part of the system of you know, uh, maybe a possible learning disability, uh, behavioral, you have uh, ADD, ADHD, yep. you have dyslexia, mm-hmm. you have, you, you know, like then is when you start the, the checklist of just being able to have a child go through the system properly, yep. you're dealing with a number of different factors. And then you, you know, if you're on top of things, and a, if you can have the financial means to be able to get them tested without having to wait the long wait list that there Stensive. would be to get through the the school board. Yeah. You know, you're investing in these tests so that they can get an IEP. You know, there's so much that's mm-hmm. placed like it's just like layers of things placed on parents and children just to be able to get through the system mm-hmm. in one piece.
0: Well, it, it can be a foreign language. It's hard to navigate. Um and it all depends on the presenting issues, and, and once we come to the the, the point where um, intervention is required, like we go through tiers, and this is all probably going to be, uh, again, a foreign language to people, but you go through tiers of intervention of what you can do within the house, within the school.
1: Okay, um, which are like what?
0: Uh, classroom-based intervention, so maybe the teacher um, gives a little bit more strategies for one student in particular, but she addresses or he or she they address it to the classroom so everyone can use it. It's this. Um, I'm just gonna slip me. But there's a model where they say is um, beneficial for a few but helpful for all. If you have that model, so let's, let's say a kid who has a tough time remembering the order or the sequence of um, instructions. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. Then you would ask the teacher, okay, well, if he has a tough time, we would say that's probably short-term auditory memory. Let's put something on on the board, on the top right-hand corner, and say step one is this, step two, so on and so forth. So then that one kid who you know, or maybe it's usually two or three kids within the classroom, who's struggling with this particular um, issue, it addresses their issue, but it also helps to others who say, yeah, you know what, I can refer to this. I can refer to this if I am slipping somewhere or I forget what's going on. Um, And then once classroom interventions uh, are unsuccessful. And you want to make sure that you try these things. You say, you know, you can't try something in a day and expect it to work. It has to be time. This I'm a, from a developmental background. So development is what we're constantly doing throughout our lifespan. But to uh, plant the seeds and yeah, say, you know, what, think about when your kids started walking. It wasn't just a straight up and start walking two feet. No, it was some stumbling. It was some bum falling. It was all these things that led to them being able to, to walk at the end so let's help these kids develop and sometimes it's planting a seed for a kid to say okay this is helpful i see my teacher do it i see my mom do it maybe i can incorporate this into my daily practice but it's the application of it so once you have tried a considerable amount of time appropriate amount of time in the classroom then it moves to what we would call out of classroom type of intervention now it's a pull out so for a kid who struggles with reading in the classroom and you've had some hovering you've had some scaffolding now you bring them out to maybe a reading specialist or reading teacher who helps them in a small group and now they get a little bit more one-on-one or a little bit more attention within the small group and then if that is has been unsuccessful then you would say this is when um at the school board they call it learning support services so that would be psychologists uh, social workers uh, speech language pathologists and uh, behavioral uh, specialists then this is where we start to uh, enter the case. And now we provide the intervention, such as an assessment to see this kid's learning profile. And if it warrants a diagnosis, then I would, of course, um, deliver that. But you want to say, you know what, we're looking at a kid's profile. We're not looking for a diagnosis. Kind of like going to the doctor. I go to the doctor because I want him just to tell me what my symptoms are. Tell me what my symptoms are, and if we find something, Good, but if you say, well, you just have a cough, well, okay, well, it doesn't warrant a flu, it doesn't warrant, you know, lung issues, you just have a cough. Cool, and how can I manage this?
1: But don't you find, and it just seems in my conversations with friends and with groups, that mm-hmm. there are more and more issues that there seem there's there's more children. Maybe it's just that we're, we're discussing it more. But more children mm-hmm. that are ending up on the, the autism spectrum. Uh, more kids that are being diagnosed with ADHD. More kids that are being diagnosed with uh, learning disability mm-hmm. uh, focus. It, is it more prevalent now? Or is it just that the children are more honest? The teachers are over uh, like... They have so much on their plate when they have massive sizes of classrooms that you're trying to be able to find something that's going to help each individual child. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me. A genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com.
0: I think just to categorize things, there's always been learning disabilities. It's kind of like there's always been the flu, you know, back into. the... I don't know, thirteen hundreds. There probably wasn't a doctor that says, "Oh yeah, these symptoms that that means you have the flu." There's always been learning challenges, so to speak. Uh, now we have more of a focus on it. You know, the push of mental health and awareness is all over um, social media and our daily lives. Uh, I don't know if it's more prevalent. And I think if you look at things, you have to say, you know, based on this criteria on the. DSM five, the book, um, Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, what uh, we use to diagnose. We have criteria to follow, and if these kids or individuals meet this criteria, then good. But sometimes a challenge doesn't have to be a diagnosis. Sometimes this kid just has poor um, auditory memory, or they have um, short attention span. Doesn't really mean that you have. Um, ADHD, inattentive, or um, hyperactive, or combined—it just means that this kid he struggles to to attend to what's going on in this environment because there's so so much criteria you have to meet to for me to professionally and ethically say this meets a diagnosis. Um, but there are challenges, and if you, I tell. I'll always try to explain to parents in our feedback. If you look at the classroom, if you look at the bell curve, this is representative of your classroom, and 50% are going to be in this average range, and then you'll have so much 25% above, 25% below. And within these challenges, like everyone's not going to be a perfect student or an ideal student, but how can we help them learn the best because 28, 30 kids are in one classroom and expected to learn one way. It doesn't suit us all. I didn't learn until... Saint of X that I'm a repetitive learner I had a good friend two good friends one of them who was just a whiz and another one who was my roommate who sat on the couch all day played video games and he had the highest average on campus it was just mind-blowing so when I'm saying well he's doing it and I want to play video games. It didn't work for me. So learning how you learn and being able to retain that information from, it was called metacognition, learning how you learn. uh, Learning that I was repetitive was really helpful. And once I clued into that.
1: What do you mean by repetitive? Just having to read over and over the same line? What do you, what are you referring to when you say that?
0: I'm repetitive. So in my situation, I have to write it. So I want to write it. I want to review it. And then I want to try to apply it to something that is more practical for me. Uh, In university, when you're listening to the teacher, I found it difficult to listen or to write. So I had to pick one. I say, well, I'm not gonna let, he's listening or he's listing all these things that are just kind of going in one ear and out the other. I want to be able to retain it as best as possible. So if I can write it and then cue in on certain things and remember when this teacher one time who jumped up on the table, he was really eccentric, jumped up on the table, I said, oh, I can match this activity with this uh, concept but me i have to revisit it so the more and more i see it the more and more i'm familiar with it studying i equate studying with practicing in basketball you would practice something so that you've seen that monster like you you gear up for this one team and you practice 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 so that when you come when it comes time for the performance it's just an everyday activity it's just an everyday practice so with me i have to study and study study so when i see it in the main performance of the test or exam or whatever I'm familiar with it and it's not a foreign concept to me.
1: How do parents or how do students then differentiate between what kind of a learner they are? you you realize that you needed repetition. Mm-hmm. Are there tools? are there things that parents can use or if you have you know high schools, I know you're dealing with a lot of high school students mm-hmm. for them to realize this is it, this is good to learn now mm-hmm. how it is that I'm learning so that I can actually use this over the course of my education.
0: Yeah I'm so I'm auditory. I know I'm repetitive and I'm practical I have to do it so you can give me a recipe I, I like to eat I'm not the best cook so if you give me the recipe it's very hard for me to do it initially by myself one of my friends wife's uh, wife uh, she is a very good cook but she'll give me recipes and I have to see her do it so once I see you do it then now I can emulate that I can reproduce that no problem but if you just give it to me I'm kind of I'm stuck often I just end up doing what's easy for me um, and metacognition is all about experience. Um, it, there's no real strategies you can use to figure out how you learn except for going through it yourself and saying, okay, well, I tried writing things down, and writing things down in the classroom wasn't helpful for me. I'd rather attend to the teacher. I'd rather watch the teacher and listen, and then I can go back into my book, and then I can maybe highlight major points. Or some people are more practical. So when you can, it's the idea of, of reading something versus. Um, doing something. A lot of people struggle when you go to like med school or even in psychology, you have to go through the theory first and then you apply it. So just going through the practice of, of trying to figure out, I don't think people figure this out until they're in their late teens anyway of how I actually learn. You learn certain concepts Easily and you don't really connect it to, oh, I learned this because this teacher always had us do this all the time.
1: I know that. But sometimes when you get a really great teacher mm-hmm. and if you're lucky enough to have a great teacher, it does change the trajectory of how you want to learn. For sure. I, I find that teachers influence is a major component to Mm -hmm. whether or not you're going to have a good student, especially in the early years. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, there's so many dynamics that is to pick apart one thing that helps is very difficult, but a good teacher, maybe um, a good classroom. Maybe there's a classroom that just happens to be full of learners and everyone's supportive and everybody wants to really challenge themselves then that can rub off on you as well there's so many things uh, in just an environment maybe an, an understanding teacher versus a more strict teacher and I don't think either one of them are bad or good It's just all what's suited, suitable for the learner and being able to have a good teacher for sure since they're the center of attention and they're the captain of the ship. it does have some type of benefit for indeed.
1: So when we go through the work that you do Mm -hmm. uh, and we can distinguish between all the different levels of learners, Mm -hmm. uh, at what point do you want an intervention when you realize that maybe your child, and this would happen early, is on the spectrum Mm -hmm. or that you are dealing with a learning disability? is there you want people to feel hope you want right. people to feel like they're they, they have a child that is still going to excel and is still going to do well it's just in finding their own individual ways to do this right so i, I want to talk a little bit about the academic side mm-hmm. and then move into the emotional side because then you could be having someone who is on the spectrum but then who is also being bullied who then leads it like there's a trickle effect yeah. of the experiences that each individual child's going to have
0: for sure uh- I guess with uh, trying to figure out when, uh, early intervention is always the best, but you want to make sure people develop. Uh, I don't know. I think kids start walking around 12 months, but if your kid starts walking around 14, it's a minor delay. They still did it. Uh, It's something to be concerned about and say, okay, we'll keep watching because 14 months is a bit after, but it's nothing Um, out of the I guess the masses and in the ordinary Uh, but if we get to around 18 months maybe 20 months we say man they're still not walking we really need some intervention here Um, you want to give people a chance to develop but you do it with watching eyes you do it with concerns and while they are still developing and while they're having this delay, we still try to intervene, but at that level. Um, and once you start to see gaps, major um, gaps, is when you say, okay, well, we need major intervention. So things like ASD, uh, you can notice things early, like there's can be a lack of attention to their environment. Um, maybe talking is a bit delayed, uh, and then as they start to prog- or as they start to age, and then their peers start to create more gaps in between, it, then you say, all right, well, now we really need some intervention for ASD, but ASD is is really difficult too because it's a spectrum. It's so many, like there's some things, if you talk about sensory, there's some sensory things that I highly dislike, like cooking. Those fans on the um, stove drive me insane. If you could turn one on, I start to malfunction. I start to really have a difficult time coping in this moment. Um, So if we look at this span, of or the spectrum of uh, ASD, you want to make sure what do you mean
1: by ASD? Just so that uh...
0: autism spectrum disorder, okay. sorry, um, autism spectrum disorder because there's levels uh, of uh, severity, uh, they're formerly known as Asperger's, is all everything is under this umbrella of ASD, but Asperger's, uh. The form of it, um, they te- tend to be a little bit more um, capable of everyday functioning independently uh, as far as going through school and living um, independently past uh, high school. But there, there's levels of success for everybody. You just, It's just really tough for parents to come to that moment where they realize and take a step back and say the expectations I have for my kid might have to involve a little bit of shifting, which is difficult.
1: It's at that point where you, the parents needing a little bit of therapy also yeah. because it's, yeah. it's, it's realizing that the one plan that you had is not necessarily the one that you're going to be following. You're going to be taking a different fork in the road.
0: Right. In life period, I think our expectations are what need uh, to be a little bit flexible from time to time because we expect – Things like, I expect to go to Dairy Queen and have them blizzards and all of a sudden machines down. So now my expectations need some shifting. Uh, you expect your kids to go to school and behave appropriately, but they go there and for whatever reason, they have some conduct issues. Um, our expectations are what can weigh heavy on our overall mental health. And for parents to, you know, maybe you have a, a house full of maybe three kids or two kids and one of them is doing fairly well as far as development and i um, meeting all the milestones and you have one who's a bit different so the expectations uh, have to shift and they have to be a little bit flexible because they're developing again i use that word but it's so true from age of five to the age of six you know you can see a difference in your kid and from the age of 10 to the you know once we hit puberty and now muscles start to Uh, develop and um, thoughts start to become more independent you can see a development so it's uh, for parents to I don't want to say you lower your expectations but you just make them flexible so that when your kid does take a different path in the road you're able to come around and support that as best possible
1: should our emphasis be based on the academic side of things and, and where they are and how they're doing there or the mental health aspect of where our children are at, because they're going to school and could be having two independent struggles Mm -hmm. on either side, where as, as a parent or as a teacher, as a therapist, are you focused then on, on making them healthier or (laughs) more capable of enjoying life when they have these two struggles?
0: Yeah, I, I think you, it's case by case, but I think overall you want to be holistic. Uh, when you try to separate pieces of people, the mind and the heart and, and then our thinking, and then um, I think when you look at uh, adversity has like six areas, but there's a social adversity, there's emotional adversity, there's mental adversity, and then there's um, physical adversities. Um, and those things are what really makes a human being. So you want to holistically look at someone and say, well, academics, they're OK. Uh, emotionally, they're not or vice versa. And you want to attend to those areas. Uh, I tell people, too, mental health is, is an unseen illness. Most for the most part, we do have those uh, more serious situations where you have hallucinations and outbursts and breakdowns. But for the most part, um, ADHD you can only see it when from environment to environment. You say, "Man, this kid really struggles when it comes to sitting still, or uh, with impulsivity, or you say with depression." And if you didn't know some, if you didn't know someone, and you just saw somebody who was maybe reserved and didn't want to speak much, you might say, "I had no idea they were depressed. I thought they were just a quiet individual." Um, you want to care or cater to what is the main point? And I try to make it. Similar to a medical model, if someone had cancer and they were still going through their treatments and coming to school, you wouldn't say, oh, I know your treatments are really affecting you, but this report needs to be done next week. Like you say, well, is that really important right now? Like, shouldn't we help this person um, who's on the mend and who's going through this treatment? Shouldn't we really cater to that? Because without their health, how can they perform academically?
1: Hmm it's It's so true when it does come to that, right It's to seeing it from a looking at it through a different lens yeah. when you see a child who's incredibly shy and withdrawn mm. and not social, yeah how you know it's it's one thing to be like, go make friends yeah <laughs> they 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 can't they're they're frozen, you know at the prospect of having to speak and having to go play and having to outreach to other kids like mm-hmm. how do you how do you start that process
0: Uh, i don't know i think humor goes a long way uh and comfort Uh, a lot of times in life we just want to be comfortable Uh, you know you go outside and it's raining you want to have your raincoat you want to have your water boots uh in the winter you want to have the best coat possible you want to be comfortable um with someone who's shy uh, that might be a personality thing um i'm more so of a watcher and I'll speak if I have to I'll watch that's why the people watching probably suits me well uh, but I've never been shy um, for those who are shy it's more so working within the the realms of their comfort and if they are comfortable and they are successful and they're still maintaining they're not being submissive to bullies or people who are being rude and they're being assertive in the areas that, that require them to be assertive and they're experiencing school uh in a happy way for them, I think that's okay. Because the personality is one of my best friends is an introvert, and you'll see him will go out like maybe on a Friday. And he won't see him for another two weeks because it drains him to be around people. And that's his his personality. He's an introvert and he still goes to work daily. He still goes to the gym. He still is social to his comfortable level. But for him to you know hang out, watch Monday night football and then watch the basketball game on Wednesday it's just not his cup of tea.
1: So it's just accepting sometimes just where the comfort level is of these, of these individuals.
0: Yeah. I would say as long as they're not missing any, like you know, it's one thing for a student to be shy and need to um, ask the teacher a question about the curriculum or the concept they covered in classroom. And they don't do it because they're so shy. I don't want my teacher to think I'm a bad student. I don't want to get up in front of everyone and be the, the center of attention. But if someone is shy... It says, you know what, I only need one friend or I like to eat lunch alone because maybe I need to reset. I've had two class in uh, high school. I've had two classes in the morning. This is my uh, lunch. And then I have to be forced to go to two classes rooms in the afternoon. This is my reset and I need my space. I think that's perfectly fine. I, some people are extroverts and they love to be the center of attention and socialize and, you know, butterfly through the social field. But if not then
1: it's okay okay it's okay to be shy it's okay to be an introvert it's different when you're being bullied into certain situation i'm assuming working with the school board Mm -hmm. that this has become a much more prevalent situation Mm
0: -hmm. Well, bullying is supposed to be a zero tolerance policy so it's not supposed to be um and i say allowed with once someone is aware of it a lot of a lot of times you're not aware of the bullying especially when it goes to social media A lot of uh, parents and teachers, they're not connected with kids the way that they are with their peers. So once you're made aware of it, it's supposed to be zero tolerance. Um, And it's giving that person uh, validation that how they feel from being bullied and trying to encourage, empower and um, provide them with the tools to whether that's therapy, talking about their feelings or how you can be assertive how you can say uh to set your boundaries without being rude but also without being submissive so uh for for bullying and then you want to you know the
1: yeah but yeah like you've got kids who don't want to go to school because they don't want to have to be confronted yeah. by the but like it, it's a much more mm-hmm. It, it, and then it impacts them, and then it, it impacts them in their youth, and then, the, the, you know, they have me- coping mechanisms that will affect them 20 years down right. there when they're at back at the office, and there's an office bullet. I mean, like, it, mm-hmm. it's not something that just goes, it does it just doesn't go away. It
0: does not. No, it doesn't, and you want to help people manage and, and navigate through that situation, and let them know that this situation, very unfortunate, and you hate that it happened to them, but. There is more to their school experience. There is more to who they are. And this person's view doesn't have to set the tone for their personal perspective or for their experience moving forward.
1: How do you teach a child that? I mean, you can say that and I can understand that. But to describe that to a 13 or a 14-year-old kid, Mm -hmm. that doesn't just soak in and sink Mm -mm. in the same way.
0: So again, this is where the development is cool. And this is theory versus the application and to tell a kid this, once they've been bullied for the last year, they have probably no trust in the school system. So you really want to gain that trust back and work with them uh, piece by piece, inch by inch. And you want to provide a, um, as we say, a reintegration and make it gradual. Say, you know what, this person here, we can try to keep them out of your um, classrooms. We can try to keep them, keep you, give you spots. And I say safe spots. Um, lightly because the world doesn't have too many safe spots. But you want to give this kid the comfort and let them know that when you come into our school, for the most part, and usually, schools are safe places. They're safe havens. Parents know I go to work. My kids will be there. They'll be good. And I'll come back home and they'll be home where I left them. Um, but you want to make them and try to, to ease those fears slowly. Say, you know what, let's just come to school and you, we'll look at your classrooms, we'll look at this, we'll try to see if we can arrange things so you're not in contact with this person and we'll also address it with this person and their parents to know, again, zero tolerance.
1: Okay, so you've got a zero tolerance, but you've got, I would think it goes much deeper than that. And mm-hmm. then from the bullying's perspective, why, mm-hmm. you know, reasons there, what are they battling? What is, what are they dealing with on a day-to-day basis? There's. There's the psychology from both aspects.
0: There's both because they're both taking part into a shared experience, but just on different sides of the table. Uh, the bully, of course, you try to intervene and, and get to the roots of their anger or their, their ideals or what have you. Um, and again, this takes time. This takes a connection. Or if you connect with your coach, you say, you know what, you like fighting people, let's put you into this boxing ring. Let's give you this type of outlet so that you can put your energies into a more productive um, environment. Um, but it takes time, Leanne. It takes a lot of time to talk to people and to walk them through these situations. And a lot of kids, as they get older, they're starting to realize that, man, the things I said, the things that I did, they probably weren't the best. I didn't make good decisions. And this impacted someone else's social experience i always tell people to think about your social experience and how you're impacting other people um so to walk them through that and again like you're right it's not an easy fix it's not a quick a lot of things with mental health there it's more going to be a managing isn't there going to be a quick fix you i tell people usually with medication if you can rectify the situation with medication it probably wasn't mental health it's probably some physiological that was going on because i'm feeling low I'm not motivated and then all of a sudden I take my iron pills and things are better. Well, no, it wasn't depression at all. It was just iron deficiency. But when it's depression, you have to talk through these things and walk through and have people gain experience, reflect, and draw conclusions that can send them further into their futures with a different perspective.
1: When I was looking on the website, you had talked about something called the three Cs. Yep. What are you referring to there?
0: Uh just my my, my, my personal philosophy, they ask you to, to think of a philosophy, and my three C's when it comes to counseling, and I think this kind of spans into life, is just to have clarity, um, change, and comfort. Uh, clarity helps us understand ourselves or our situations a little bit better. Without clarity, we don't understand what's going on. We're just kind of floating through our day-to-day experiences. And Once you have that clarity, you can then have a decision to say, do I make changes that are beneficial for me? Or do I just keep going on with things that haven't been helpful for my social experience, for my well-being? And if you can make these positive changes, then it takes some comfort to start doing things differently. A lot of times when we're looking at mental health, um, there's the idea of, um, of health, reaction, injury, and then illness. And once you get to the areas of injury and illness, you're trying to make your way back to the reaction and healthy areas. But we don't always choose the most positive things. So we will self medicate or we'll skip school to avoid it. Uh, We'll do things that aren't helpful for us in the long run. So in order to make these changes and make these more of an everyday practice, you can even say a lifestyle change. um, It takes some comfort. And that idea of habits, they say minimum 21 days to build a new habit, but they say probably 60 to 90 days, takes some time for people to become more comfortable to stand up to people who are, you know, taking my lunch money or it takes a little bit more time for me to gain the confidence, maybe through therapy, through practice, through modeling, to learn a way to approach my teacher. Confidently to ask for help on a situation that I don't understand or a concept that I don't understand. So I think with the three C's clarity, comfort and change. I think in my opinion, it, it equals growth. And that's what you want as a counselor for your client is to grow and to understand things differently and to behave differently.
1: You were talking about, you know, coming in as a client, and that was based on the fact that they actually want to talk to somebody or mm-hmm. have the ability, and it's not just a, a parent or someone saying, this is what we're going to be doing. Right. And as you had mentioned earlier, you talked about the fact that through music, uh, oftentimes it, there's, a, there's a different type of a conversation that's happening because mm-hmm. you don't have to sit there and, and pour your heart out. There can be other things. So what is this music, mood, health? Did I get it right? No. Mental health, Me- health mental, and mental health, mood, yeah. and music. Yes. <laughs> what is that?
0: Uh, it was just, it, it's a, a therapeutic modality that I use for people to open up conversation. Uh, it started from my thesis, I, again, being a student and trying to make things interesting for me. Um, I didn't want to research endlessly about things that had no um, interests of mine or that, that I wasn't uh, engaged in looking forward to doing. So I just put music into a counseling situation, uh, long story short. And to determine how this would help people who are going through certain issues, whether that's emotional, whether that's social, whether that's even even cognitively. Um, And you use I use music as uh, a backdoor uh, entry to someone's reflection. Um, Musicians, we put them on a higher pedestal and I guess rightfully so, maybe not. But. um, They're humans. When you boil it down, they're humans and they have families and they go through tragedies. They have uh, celebrations. They have um, challenges and they have difficulties. And they usually put that into their music. So if we're listening to a song about a breakup, let's say, and breakups are pretty common in your adolescent years. They happen, you know, from day to day. Uh, You say, okay, well, this person is talking about a breakup and how does that affect you well it affects me because my boyfriend was the center of my universe and then you say well it affects me because my boyfriend um was part of my social group and now he's taking my social group away from me so on and so forth so we talk about it and even though we're talking about a breakup or we're talking about depression if we say depression like i'm depressed because my grades aren't going as i want them to and you say well i'm depressed because my parents keep on fighting We all can talk about depression, but it comes from different um, triggers or different things in our lives, but it's still depression. And hearing this person sing about it, it makes it relatable. I can say, well, here goes somebody who's speaking to what I'm going through. And it can also help with problem solving because you say the way this person got through it, maybe I can get through it. And once we find that things a lot of times with mental health, people feel they're the only ones going through it. And it's sad, but oftentimes it does take people That experience of mental health to say oh now I get it I get why that person was depressed blah 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 maybe I'm going through depression myself or maybe my mom is going through depression so now it's affecting me indirectly but a lot of times people can't really um, align themselves with it or understand it until they've gone through it this gives people a way to say somebody is out there going through something similar to what I'm going through
1: you tend to do, do these in a group setting Or do do you find that the group therapy works in this format?
0: I've done it in group formats. I've done it individually. Individually is really good for the kids who love music. And we're a tuned-in world now. Everyone's walking with with earpods or earphones. Even if you go to Starbucks, you're forced to hear some type of music, elevators. So music is part of our daily lives. And I also use this for people to have something to manage. I say your toolkit uh, or I say, you need a toolkit to help with your day-to-day mental health. And you can't see your counselor or your therapist day-to-day. Just way you can't see your doctor. I tore my ACL, you know, some years ago, and I could see my doctor once, you know, every certain, every few days, or your physiotherapist every few days. But in the meantime, my physio gave me activities to strengthen. Your doctor will say, you have the cold, go home, take these antibiotics, um, get to sleep, fluids, blah, 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 and come back and see me. Same thing with mental health. Day to day, what can you do to manage? And I think music would be something that's easily accessible and it could be helpful. So day to day, you can find things to help you move through and give you perspective and give you comfort with what you're dealing with. L- using these in these groups have been really, really good. Uh, I do them in presentations as well. Pres- present to people about mental health topics to make it more normalized and to make it more practical. Because a lot of times as psychologists, we use jargon. Use jargon, and it's really hard to understand, but if we can make this relatable and make it really practical and understanding to people, then I think mental health will be uh, much more in the forefront and easily accepted by the masses.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, but when you're talking about music, Uh listen, I've got a 14-year-old and the music that they're listening to. like the The point now when I'm now not cool, yeah. like <laughs> it, it starts with the music because I'm just like, what are you listening yep. to? And and I like my top forty, right? Like I'm yep. I'm full on into the top forty, but mm-hmm. these things and these songs and these lyrics that are coming out, it's it's almost like, yeah, what well, is this?
0: Well, I, I, I would. I, I would challenge you to think back when you were fourteen and what your parents were saying about. Yeah, your we music. had
1: Madonna and Boy George and wham, right? Like was, I, I I'm thinking it's just a it's a very different language that that they're speaking.
0: It is. Well, even with so I'm I'm huge in rap and hip hop. So even me growing up at certain times, there were certain songs that my mom, was like, that's kinda cool and then certain songs she's like, No, that's not gonna fly mm-hmm. in my in my car. Um but this this music is going to be subjective, and that's what that's the thing about this too. This is subjective. This is what speaks to you. So even with rap music, I have a nephew who's eleven, and the things that he listens to, they're not explicit. But even the rappers now, I'm just like, man, this is this is different rap, and it's rap. So whatever speaks to him, and he loves it. He loves it, and he thinks this is the hottest thing ever. And I can't let it play longer than thirty seconds. So what is important is that things speak to your daughter or speak to that person because that way they can relate a lot better. And I'm not saying these misguided lyrics and these things that are, you know, profane. However.
1: but Okay. But how is it, how is it working? If my, if our kids are feeling a certain way and we're playing certain music, like mm-hmm. what, what is it doing? Like when you're using this as as a as a tool, as yep. part of your toolbox, how is it being incorporated?
0: It's being incorporated because you it's a lyrical analysis. So uh, a lot of people are really familiar with the cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's an approach that we use in uh, therapy. I'm using this as just a cognitive approach. Lyrically, we're going to analyze these lyrics, and we're going to listen to what the person is talking about. Now, sometimes they are profane, and sometimes life, I think, is best unedited. But at the same time, we're looking at the things and how this person is using words to express their emotions
1: okay as a 14 year old i get it they're they're downloading their own music on their independent phones as a six-year-old they're not exposed to that right they're exposed to whatever mom and dad's listening to in the radio or whatever's popped up on their device so how are you able to differentiate between a musical therapy for 14 and a musical therapy for a six or Uh, seven-year-old
0: It's a good good question because the This was based on college students when I started using it. So uh, it's really good. And I would even 14-year-olds, I think, may struggle with it just because of experience. They can still relate to it, but the experiences of saying, hmm, I can understand that or I know what they're talking about. They can listen to the story just like they can watch a movie and say, oh, that's a cool movie. But to say that I can relate to it is difficult. But we still work with it. Um, For younger kids, you use this for more like irrational rhymes. It's kinda of like when kids are again, you're planting the seed. So with my three year old nephew, when the time playtime is up, toys away, no more play. Come back in another day. Things like that. You would use this to to put down, I guess, morals or ideals. There is a guy, um, I can't remember his name, but he did rational rhymes. This is kinda of what sparked me to use music because he would use rational rhymes to teach kids certain um, certain lessons and certain ideas that they could talk about it and they could rhyme. Um, it's kind of like your A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like your A, B, C, D. E. The kids, they, they, they sing it. But, you know, some kids struggle with that LMNOP type thing. They say, oh, what is that? They just oh, it's,
1: think, it took me a while to realize that those were all different yeah. letters. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all did, right? Yeah.
0: So for them to have the seeds planted, and now you use that for them just to be able to, now we've sung the song, Now, A, B, C, this is what an A looks like. So parents. Parents are really, really, really important in in this mental health or in this development because you're the biggest models in their life and you're the most influential in their life. So for us to have these rhymes, to sing them, and then now to apply them. Again, theory and application, they go hand in hand, but one is harder than the other. Once you can use those with the little kids, as they get older, 7, 8, then it becomes a common practice. Okay, yeah, I have to put my shoes away or I have to go put my computer away because I'm going downstairs for dinner or whatever.
1: So even independent original song making by parents of, of going through <laughs> <laughs> tasks around the house, like we can all come up with our own little jingles?
0: Yeah, you can. Uh, sure. if You you know, I think a lot of parents, from what I hear, they struggle with... Uh, um, Lunch making. Lunch making. What's going to be helpful for the kid? And what's the, why is this returning? I made a full lunch for this kid to make eat these cucumbers. Yeah, they don't eat it. And then they come home and they eat all the cucumbers in the fridge. What's going on here? So even like a little jingle like that for parents to navigate that for themselves. I think for your own well-being, not for the kids. But yeah, I think for you to have your own little jingles is, is perfectly
1: cool. Okay, so we are, uh, when this podcast goes to air, I mean, we are early in the school year. Mm-hmm. How how long do you suggest, as we're kind of wrapping these up, that, that parents are aware or that are in tune with watching their children, yeah. seeing the behavior when they leave in the, in the morning, and seeing the type of child that's coming back in the house at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. At what point do they start to kind of make notes or kind of just follow along certain patterns to realize this is on par, this is not okay, mm-hmm. this is where we need to start bringing in somebody else?
0: Uh, I think monitoring is always good like i said from day to day kids change but once you start to see some patterns where you say you know what you know dave never really was like this he always was outgoing and he loved hockey now he doesn't want to play hockey or whatever you start to make these notes and then you have conversations i always say like again your tribe that's going to be coaches that's going to be teachers that's going to be your community so you say dave is struggling at home do you see this at school no, at school, he's pretty good. You know, he's out there. He's a line leader, and he's always offering these, this insight. Uh, but once you start to see things, and if you're always concerned, you can always talk to your kid. You can always talk to them and say, how are things? I want you to, I would I suggest to monitor first. Sometimes we suggest things and kids are influenced. They're like, oh yeah, that is it. Like, Not really. But always have some conversations with your kids. Just say, how is school? What's going on? What's new? Who are the new friends? Anything exciting?
1: Yes, no, uh-huh. Yeah-huh. That's yeah. what you get? You're like, so honestly, you're going to get one word answers. That's what you get, yeah.
0: Then you expand. Say, okay, give, me, give mommy some details. Tell me about this friend. Yes, no, okay, so what was it about? And then sometimes if you have concern never hurts to go in and talk to somebody uh, just to get a consult, just to go in for one one session and say, I'm worried about this, blah, blah, blah. I think to talk to teachers to know to know what developmental milestones they're looking at in the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, so on and so forth is important. But you know your kid better than most people. So if you have any concerns, it's never a bad thing. It's kind of like going to the doctor. You know, my ear's been ringing. I want to go and get it checked out uh yeah no there's nothing in the air structurally and usually sometimes the earrings it might be stress or it might be whatever give it a few days and we'll, we'll see how it goes right it never hurts to go consult and talk to people and we should do it the same way we do with our physical health
1: okay and just because you mentioned that in my last question is mm-hmm. that they're saying that our kids are more stressed out now than ever before
0: mm-hmm. Stress out probably um but i think it's it's management it's it's one thing that underlies stress and sometimes uh, with the, the, the more serious form of anxiety, which is anxiety, is uh, people feel incapable of doing certain things. They feel that I can't master this test. I can't do this. I can't navigate that. They feel that they're not capable of handling a situation. So stress, yeah, I think expectations, I'm, I'm really big on expectations and responsibilities so people can manage those. then think we can bring our stress down, but Are kids more stressed now? I don't know. There's always been tests. There's always been exams. Um, But I think their ability.
1: Yeah, I do agree. I agree with that. There's there's always been tests and exams, but they're becoming, as we sometimes think that we're becoming less competitive, like participation. Everyone gets a participation badge, but really at the end of the day, people are still... Competing against each other, they're competing now against social media and likes and how many followers and friends. Like there are much different issues Mm -hmm. that go far beyond their their schooling and their sports. Mm -hmm.
0: It it does, but I think for people and for parents again to have these conversations to let people know, and again you're planting seeds that what what we see over there is not important. Like that shirt. That's a cool shirt, but you don't need that shirt. You need a shirt that you like. You need a shirt that speaks to you, that expresses yourself. You don't have to follow people. You help them find the internal qualities that are worth admiration within them. It's like, you know what? You don't have to be like them. You don't have to follow the trend. If you want to, that's fine too. But don't think because you don't have or because you're not as tall or as pretty or whatever that that's a deficiency. No, it's a difference. And having them warm up and grow into that difference and that uniqueness.
1: School uh, is full in session. For some people, they'll have the opportunity to be able to make an appointment and see a specialist and maybe get in for a little bit of counseling. What would be the steps then? Is it the the teachers, the school board, the independent counseling? Where do you suggest people go?
0: Uh, All the above. Um, Through the school board, you would contact the teacher or the guidance counselor if they're older. Um, Teachers then make the referrals to the learning support teachers or the guidance counselors and then they uh, have meetings they discuss the the waiting lists and the need priority which is hard to to figure out and then from there um, they would meet with a school psychologist or a social worker or a behavioral uh, specialist if it's something emotional or um, maybe so much uh, social Um, speech language pathologist uh, if there's some language difficulties Uh, but it could take a while because I think there's 40 school board psychologists last year, at least at the OCDSB, roughly that. And there's like a hundred and something schools. So we're being torn in different ways.
1: Okay. So then how long would you suggest a parent allow the system to take over or if they have the means to take care of it themselves?
0: Uh, that's going to be a, a parental decision. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if they could, you know, they monitor, they do have the means. It, it does go quicker. But even with my private practice and... um. Ottawa I think my waiting list was like eight weeks last time I checked eight to ten weeks so again that's why management in between and creating this toolkit is really really important because in the meantime like you can't build a house with just a hammer you need a lot of tools with the music and with other things positive relationships exercise self-care those type of things and it sounds really really general and uh, and ineffective but those are things that Consists of our mental health, um, so if you can, by all means, go ahead and go uh, contact a private practitioner. That could be a psychologist, social worker, a psychotherapist. Um, they all can carry out counseling. So, yeah, and carry
1: a, out the testing.
0: Testing is psychologist only. And, oh, well, okay. different, there's different. So, there's,
1: okay, so let let me. So when you're making that call and you're looking for that testing or to be able to to be able to understand or to have some clarity on where they're. Their brain is functioning.
0: Let me reframe. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, for psychoeducational testing, which is a cognitive test mm-hmm. and an uh, educational test, you would usually go to a psychologist for that. Okay,
1: and that is also that falls under the if your child is ADD, ADHD, yep. has a learning disability, a dyslexia.
0: Learning disabilities, specific learning disorders, for sure. ADHD. Your medical doctor can diagnose that as well. Okay. Yeah. So that might be an avenue for you as well okay.
1: or speak to the doctor about that and then follow the trickle down effect as to where you're, you're yeah. wanting to do some of the testing yeah you know parent we're just everyone's looking you know they no. want to give their child the best the best advantages that they can
0: right but and I think we, we all should but know that your kids they, they can they can manage they just have to walk through it with the guidance and with the support because uh, things like ADHD they don't go away They you people learn how to manage better so if and that's why I'm really cautious about doing type of those type of diagnosis, especially so early when kids are developing, because once you put that on someone that type of label or that type of diagnosis, essentially, it should be lifelong. And now people learn how to redirect their attention or people learn like myself, I think I'm probably undiagnosed ADHD once I'm in a meeting for too long or a seminar for too long. I'm the one that stands up in the back corner because I'm starting to drift or I'm starting to fall asleep and not because it's boring just because I can't sit still for longer than a good 30 minutes. That's when I start to clock out.
1: you know what's funny is I have a lot of friends later in life Mm -hmm. like after like 30 that were starting to go in for, I think I've been ADHD my entire Mm -hmm. life and and I have friends who've gotten on medication later in life Mm -hmm. and who are like, gosh, I wish I'd had I wish I'd had known this early. I would have done so much better. I would have taken a different path. So it's it's just, it's being aware, right? It's having Mm -hmm. the dialogue and the discussions. People can find you where?
0: Uh, They can find me at elapsychology.com I'm also at Cetera Psychological and Counseling Services which is in Stittsville on the weekends Um, you can email me at Psychology at gmail and I'm also starting a private practice down in Kingston so I'll be there for most of the weeks um, at out of JD, physiotherapy, ELA, psychological and counseling
1: services. Okay. You're, you're a mixture of a whole bunch of different places. Got my hand
0: in everything. Well, yeah.
1: uh, I really appreciate the time in this and uh, it's just a, opening the dialogue I think for parents and for students to, to realize it's, there's a lot, you have a lot of years in school, yep. a lot of years of learning mm-hmm. and to be able to uh, to maneuver your way through it as best as you can so you can get the most out of it. Really appreciate the time. Thanks I'll have all the information and all of the links uh, in the show notes as well and really appreciate everyone everyone who's listening, subscribing, liking, sharing, talking about the living your life with Leanne Lang podcast. Appreciate the support and continuing to see everything grow. Have a great day.